0: Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you might be, uh, we are welcoming you to another series of ICJ webinars, a weekly series uh, broadcasting live from Jerusalem uh, every Thursday at 4 p.m. Jerusalem time. Uh, my name is Monir Carlos, I'm the Vice President for International Affairs, part of the leadership team here in Jerusalem, and I'm going to uh Uh, lead you into another uh, part of our discussion on the weekly Torah portion, the the part of the Bible, which is read uh, in synagogues by Jews all around the world. And of course, we are looking at it from a uh, New Testament Christian point of view. I will be joined soon by my colleague and uh, leader of the whole ICJ, President Jürgen Bühler, he uh, just has uh, uh, some problems with uh, joining with his computer, so uh, he asked me to start, and uh, I hope that he will uh, join us soon. So uh, this is the third part of a series which is called The Life of Abraham, and we are going through the book of Genesis and looking at different parts where the life of Abraham is described. We already had two sessions, one on the parashat Lech Lecha, uh, which starts in Genesis 12, with uh, the famous uh, command by the Lord to Abraham, uh, go ye to uh, the land, which I will show you, and you need to leave your family and your tribe, your all of your culture and go, to the place which I will show you. So that was the beginning of Abraham's journey. And then uh, we uh, also uh, talked about, uh, in the next portion called Bayerah, uh, we talked about uh, different aspects of Abraham's life, some of his tests, uh, some of his weaknesses, which were exposed by also his great spirit of intercession as he tried to save, Uh, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. We talked about what was actually wrong in those cities and uh, of course the climax of his life as it were, the birth of Isaac and immediately or soon after that, uh, the major test which uh, Abraham had to go through uh, when he was told to sacrifice his son. We know that he received him back uh, and he believed that he, the Lord would be actually able to raise him from the death. So that was one of the tests uh, of obedience and faith of Abraham. And today we are concluding this three-part series uh, by looking at the, the last days of Abraham. But even before that, on the last days of Sarah. Uh, <clears throat> the whole portion <clears throat> which starts in Genesis chapter 23 and goes on the next three chapters, 24 and 25. It is called in Hebrew by the first words uh, in Genesis 23 verse one, uh, about the life of Sarah, Chayeh Sarah. So it starts by informing us that Sarah uh, died in a blessed uh, uh, age of 127 years. And then we read the story of how Abraham buried her and all that was connected to that. I welcome Jürgen. I'm glad that he he could join us now. So uh, we are going to have this conversation together. And if you allow me, again, I would just, as an appetizer, uh, start with one thought, which uh, is uh, uh, repeatedly mentioned when uh, uh, people read this part of the Bible and think about its meaning. There are actually two stories, and we will probably Uh, look at them in more detail. And both stories are interesting in that they are quite long. There are many words uh, which describe one, this business transaction between uh, Abraham and the sons of Hattai uh, when he was trying to buy a piece of land to bury his wife, Sarah. So that's one uh, real estate transaction, which is described in, in surprisingly, great detail. And then the other story, which is even longer, is uh, the story about uh, uh, getting a wife for Isaac. It is about Abraham, who sent his trusted uh, servant to a different land to bring wife uh, for Isaac. First, he gives him detailed instructions. And then we read again almost the the same thing said again, uh, describing how actually the servant Went about his task, and you know the the question, the obvious question is why these texts are so long and uh, detailed. There are other texts in the Bible which uh, may be describing even more dramatic situations, like even the binding of Isaac in the previous chapter, which are very concise. It's we can say that more is left out than what is actually said. And uh, also, when you look at the story of uh, getting the wife for Isaac, uh, some of the commentators say, well, this is longer than the description of the whole creation of the world. So if the length of the text or the story uh, signifies something, then why is that? The assumption is that the longer the text, the more important the story is. But what is so important about getting a, a real estate, a piece of real estate, or getting a wife for Isaac? And I would just, uh, I would leave it hanging in the air. We will go back to this question, and I will just add to it, if you could think about a story in the New Testament, which is equally long and described in great detail, and under the assumption that, the length of the story tells us something about its significance, we can also uh, get some uh, understanding about that particular story. Jürgen, can you think about a story in the New Testament which actually is uh, repeated in all of the Gospels and which uh, is, is really described in great detail?
1: Well, thanks, Moimel, and apologies for the fall for my late coming in, but I I had some technical issues here in my office, and uh, uh, and I managed to set up the the computer, started up only the last few minutes to be able for Zoom. But um, it is true, you know, those two stories are um, very long for the relative importance you might imagine, and it's paralleled. Uh, I think what you are hinting at is, uh, of course, the crucifixion of Yeshua, which is uh, described over many chapters.
0: Yes, and if if, the, if it is true that it is a hint about the importance of that story, then we might understand that the description of the crucifixion is not only to tell us about the cruelty of that type of execution after all, hundreds of people were being put to death by the Romans in those days, but about the importance of that particular man who suffered and died and rose again because that is really a uh, completely uh, historical event which has no parallels in human history. And so simply looking at it from this point of view that the, the length of the text and the level of detail into which the Bible goes is already a mark of telling us, well, be aware that something extremely significant is going on. So
1: anyway, what the, did the, the Lord show you when reading the text of Chayei Sarah? Well, it's uh, in a in a way, you know, you know, what you hinted at it right now in the beginning. You know, I I puzzled myself when I read those two passages or those two chapters, son, uh, the 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 purchase of that land, and then um, of course this story of uh, Isaac and Rebecca, and I think you know what. What it hints at is that, you know, at that stage, Abraham was already uh, some 120 plus years old. And um, when he was younger, he re- received this amazing promises from the Lord, which told him, he says, I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to give you many descendants. And until that point, actually, it didn't happen. There wasn't uh, a land that he owned and he wasn't uh, possessing any piece of the promised land. And uh, the Bible even says in the New Testament, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, he lived as a foreigner in this land, moving from tent to tent, from location to location. And then also regarding their descendants, there were two children by now, but anything falling short, of course, from great nations and descendants like the sand of the sea and like the stars of the heaven. So, in a way, it's almost like um, Abram realized he's uh, at the end of his life, and there are those big promises still over his life. And in a way, he became active. And I don't think he became active in a negative way, like he did with uh, with Hagar, where he tried to put his fate in his own hand. But he realized he needed to do something about the fulfillment of those prophecies. And this is the first time, where I actually. Um, a Hebrew or later on that we called a Jew was really in a literal sense possessing a piece Mm -hmm. of land here in the land of promise. The Bible speaks about this principle of first fruit. So you could say this was like a piece of first fruit for what would come later on that they would have the whole land in the future as a nation. But Abraham was putting down his own investment, his own money in order to get hold as a personal possession, was a field with a cave. And this is, until today, one of the most holiest sites. I think it's the second holiest site in Judaism, where Sarah and all the matriarchs and the patriarchs are being buried. So, in a way, it was a first step. And the same also, he saw he he was getting older, and his son Isaac, uh, which was by that time already 40 years old, he didn't have a daughter, and so he... Uh, charged one of his servants, many believe it was Eliezer, and he sent him off and made sure that there also will be a physical succession in the seed of Abraham. And one of the lessons what I learned from one of the rabbis that uh, uh, commented on that passage, he says that faith is always two, as a 2 ways direction, and that's, I think, a, a great formula or a great lesson for us. Yes, and the one sign is blind, trusting the Lord that he will do it, but it doesn't encourage us to just to sit in our armchair and wait until things become into fulfillment. God always asks us to do something. Uh, and I think that's the history of all great men. You know, uh, I was reading the other day, the autobiography of Reinhard Bunke as a young child, uh, he received that prophecy, one day we will become a missionary in Africa. But he needed to uh, buy the tickets with his wife to go by shift down. He had to arrange things and He had to do things in order to make it happen. And he became one of the great evangelists. But there was a whole sequence of actions. And that's what I believe we see with Abraham, that he received the promise. But he also understood he needed to do something in order that they will be fulfilled.
0: Yes, exactly. And actually, just like you said, these two stories that we have in the portion uh, speak of the two uh, important elements, which together make up the Jewish nation, the land and the people. In, in Hebrew, these are the two key words, Zera and Arez. Arez is the land and Zera is the seed. So in other words, the uh, descendants of Abraham, the people of Israel. And Abraham did something in, to, to uh, move forward on both lines. He did something for the land and he did something for the, his descendants. Now, it's really interesting that he had been living in the land already for decades and he never built a land for himself. He, we read in the Hebrew 11 that he never built a city. And uh, he he lived as a stranger, as a guest in the land. And the first thing he bought was a place for burial. Mm -hmm. So the the question is, why so? Why would he not buy a piece of land to live rather than a piece to bury the dead? And I I just read an uh, interesting point here. Uh, One of the rabbis say that uh, actually, it tell, it teaches us that to settle in the land of Israel requires sacrifice. And only after you, you sacrifice and after you see your beloved one dead and bury her, this is where a seed is sown which will bear, bear more fruit. So that that's uh, quite an interesting point. And they also ask the question, why sacrifice or suffering is needed to uh, live in the land of Israel. And we can extend it even today. It is not easy to live in the land of Israel. And that's why many Jews also prefer to live in America or in, in other nations where life is more comfortable. But uh, the author said, and I will reveal my source. Here's a, a nice book, which I can also recommend. It's Eretz Israel in the Parasha by Moshe Lichtman, it's uh, going through the, the Torah portions and looking at what can we learn in relation to the land of Israel. And he says, it is very important that Jews live in the land, but it is not easy. Why is it not easy? Because the purpose is that those who choose to live in the land of Israel get closer to God because with all the hardships and all the troubles and all the suffering, that brings you closer to God. And uh, if you live comfortably, uh, your heart becomes uh, dull, and uh, you tend to be very comfortable and not really interested in in obeying God. So I find this, uh, uh, first of all, a valid thought, and I would say that it also has to some lesson even for us Christians, because when the Lord is pruning us and is putting us through uh, a difficult circumstances, it uh, usually uh, produces the kind of faith and attitude, uh, really expecting things from God and being uh, relying on Him more. Of course, you can also trust God fully and uh, live in comfort and in prosperity, but experience shows that it is harder. And when we look at even at modern Israel, we see this is a land half uh, dried with enemies all around. And yet this pressure, this very pressure has brought forth ingenuity many many different uh, ways how they found uh, solutions to the difficulties and actually are contributing with uh, uh, their inventions to the whole world. So that is also something which I believe is part of God's plan, and also is part of the whole restoration of Israel that it, we see today.
1: Yeah, I know, you know what you say is so important also for our times in many ways this, and you know, the connection of, of the Jewish people to the land and the concept of a physical land, it is something that um, in the past decades uh, Christians only were forced by the re emergence of the state of Israel to even think about it because we always uh, are thinking about of course the kingdom to come and about the world to come and the, uh, the heavenly Jerusalem and now we are in a way confronted you can say with a very earthly Jerusalem and it's quite amazing that this holy connection, you can almost call it, between Israel and the Jewish people and the and Eretz Israel, the very land. It is something quite unique because once the Jewish people, they were persecuted all over the world, survived miraculously, and now they come to the land of Israel, and within the past 75 years we are celebrating next year the 75th anniversary. This land, in a way you can say, really only entered into the fullness of what God has for them, at least to a certain degree. They don't think they don't recognize their Messiah, of course, yet. But um, it's a startup nation. It's a, it's a nation that, right now, in the, even in the midst of the whole global shakings, Israel seems to be more stable than ever and increasingly stable. So there is this connection. Since they are back in the land, they really entering also into the promises that god was giving them well i hope you understood what i said before but uh i think we did but this is much better now thank you this is much better. and maybe you know one one thought also you know is that um which brings us also in in what's happening with israel today um abraham purchased that land was the promised land but he nevertheless he didn't say well god promised me so this is my land But he actually put a price down and um, archaeologists and historians, they all believe that what he paid, those 400 shekel was a complete ripoff. This was far overpriced what a piece of land would have cost at that time. But he still paid it in order to get the possession of that land. And in a way, this is also what was taking place over the last 100 years with the Jewish people were coming back to Eretz Israel uh, big part, huge chunks of that land were actually, was literally purchased by people like Baron Edmund Rothschild who went in the uh, late 19th, beginning of the 20th century and purchased huge parts of parts of this land and, you know, many people today say, oh, they stole the land from the Palestinians or from the Arabs but large parts literally have been purchased and made Jewish possession and in a way it's Very interesting that when Abraham entered the land uh, 4,000 years ago and what we see today, it's almost like the same succession that you see Abraham purchasing this this land even before uh, his people came in and uh, individual Zionists purchasing huge parts of this land before the state of Israel was emerging. Yes, and uh, some of the commentators
0: say that actually this text is One of the proofs that no one in the nations could say the Jews stole the land, that this particular land does not belong to them. Another case is uh, Joseph's tomb in Shechem. And uh, just uh, incidentally, both Hebron and Nablus or Shechem are hotly disputed places today where all the world is saying the Jews stole the land. They have no right. But the Bible tells us the complete opposite. I would like to take a look, yes, uh, also at, at another part of this uh, uh, real estate transaction. Uh, the, the Hebrew word that is used for purchasing the plot is, uh, uh, in English, it is a possession of a burial place. Uh, in Hebrew, ahuzat kever. Kever is a, is a grave or a burial place. And what does the word ahuza means? Uh, It's here described as possession, and it comes up in several places, and uh, uh, significantly in Genesis 17, when God is promising the land to Abraham, he is saying in verse 8, I give to you and to your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God an everlasting possession, here is achuzat olam. olam. So again, olam is eternal, everlasting, and Ahuza is this possession. And uh, there's an interesting study, you can uh, look uh, at it uh, yourself, what, where else is the word achuzat coming up in the Bible, because it gives us an understanding of what this possession actually is. And uh, I will quote perhaps two or three uh, scriptures. Uh, it is Genesis twenty two thirteen. That's within the binding of Isaac when we read that Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horn. Now the word "caught" is this very word Ahuza. So it's something that uh, 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 made it impossible for the ram to move. He was caught caught and uh, you know, pinned down as it were. Then in Genesis 25, 26, uh, this is the story in the next portion of uh, uh, Jacob and Esau. And when they were being born, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. That is Jacob's hand took hold of Esau's heel. Now, where the word Ahuza comes in, took hold. Again, grab him. So that the kind of possession uh, signifies that uh, you hold fast onto something, like the ram, the thicket the was holding fast onto the horns of the ram so he couldn't move. Jacob was holding fast to the uh, 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 leg of Esau. Uh, so that uh, it's it's really indicates a something that you really hold fast to. And this is exactly the type of inheritance that God gave to Abraham. And his only task in that sense was to hold fast onto it, which is what he was doing all his life. And that's why he became such a hero of faith. Now, the uh, commentators say that also there is another word for possession, which is Yerusha. We have the word Morasha yeah. from that, for instance. And Yerusha is, uh, is comes up in a different context, in different situations. And usually that is where the Israelites had to fight for their possession. And so this is how you spoke about a two-way uh, uh, communication with God. On the one hand, we get a promise and we just are told to hold fast onto it no matter what happens. Even if the sea would row and the, uh, the, the, the mountain would fall, we still hold fast to the hope that we have in Jesus. And on the other hand, there are situations where we have to take the sword and go and fight for the possession for the inheritance which has been given to us, be it in a situation of a, uh, of a, of a sickness, of a financial crisis, of a family crisis whatever that might be we all go through fighting sometimes and uh, mm-hmm. uh, we have to understand that this is also part of god's testing and training and uh, putting out us into the place where he wants us to be
1: no that's true and you know this um concept of fighting that you mentioned or insistence it's even clear in that whole story is that when he uh, approached and said i want to purchase that land initially actually he was reluctant to do that he said well you can bury your your dead here don't don't worry at all i will allow you to use the cave and please bury sarah and um, Abraham really insists, he says, no, I want to purchase that, I really want to hold fast of that land. And uh, they they took it even to the city gate, and that's when he uh, got the possession. And I think that's really something that uh, um, also implies another quality in the kingdom of God. Like we said in the beginning, first of all, you need to of course to do something in order that when there is a call of God in your life you need to turn it into action and then also there's a need of insistence or persistence in it uh, where you really are willing to hold fast on that even though challenges might uh, arise and say oh maybe because of that obstacle maybe that's not the will of god he never said that he really was insisting he says no i this is my inheritance and we want to hold fast on that and i think that's a encouragement also for many believers today that's what uh, even though you might find yourself in your calling but with many challenges around and the world of today's proportion is well pay the price this is your achusah, and uh, make sure that you don't give up your your calling and this uh, destiny that the lord has for your life and you know the the other side of course and that's the the second part of this parasha today it's uh, in a way the same insistence almost you see this very lengthy story how it actually the main actor of that story is quite interesting it's not abraham himself but a a servant now most people believe it was eliezer but interestingly enough the whole chapter the word eliezer is not mentioned it was just called and he called oh, one of the uh, one of the servants the oldest of his house and ha- household and he put a charge upon him and he says, I want you to go out and get a, a wife for my son Isaac, who was by that time 40 years old. He didn't marry yet. And he wanted to make sure that he finds a, a uh, made for him from actually the same family uh, lineage of Abraham and he sent him back to Haran. And that's also, I think, you know, one of this. very, it's even almost, I think, double the the length of the previous chapter of the purchase of the land where we see this man going out to to uh, look for the pride of Isaac. Do you have any thoughts on that, Moimir? Oh, yes. Well, uh,
0: I think we have been following in the life of Abraham from the beginning how Important it was that uh, uh, lineage is established uh, because the, we we do not uh, overestimate when we say that the whole salvation of the world depended on that. Because God decided by choosing Abraham, he decided to do something from one man who would uh, give Birth to a nation, to a tribe and a nation, and through that nation, God would bring salvation and the knowledge about his word, his will, his character to the world. So we can uh, appreciate how important it is that these people would uh, really be the the right ones that God chose. And this is also why we find the, the stories of those who are chosen and those who are rejected. On the level of Abraham's son, we have Isaac and Ishmael. And Ishmael then got a wife from Egypt and he lived apart. Then we even hear later that other Abraham's children, which we had, they were sent off to the east. So again, so that only Isaac would remain in the land. And then of course, it's very important who you marry. So uh, uh, this is the explanation why the text is so long that Abraham really took pains to do what he felt he should do and uh, to take wife from, uh, not from the locals, but from another uh, land, actually his own uh, heritage. And then with Isaac and, uh, with uh, I mean, with Isaac's son, with uh, Jacob and Esau, we see this selection again. Uh, Jacob is chosen, Isaac is uh, Esau reject, uh, uh, is rejected. So that was an extremely important process, and we can say that with those first generations of the patriarchs, God started to uh, cultivate the good olive tree into which we are ultimately also grafted in. So we should also read it as our own story. You know This is not only a Jewish story, but it has become our own story. Abraham is our father. We are his sons and daughters. And uh, so uh, it's important that God really uh, pick the right people. And by saying that, uh, uh, I do not mean to say that they were perfect. And in each chapter, we see the weaknesses of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So that's not the point. But there is something... And uh, on the part of Abraham and his descendants, it is said in Genesis 18 18 that God knew that he would teach his children and the children after them to keep the way of God, to be faithful. And faithful they have been, the whole Jewish people, throughout the centuries. Even though they had their ups and downs, even though they failed many times, there is something which uh, made them be the carriers of the word of God and those from whom the Messiah came. And I believe that we also are called to be faithful. Remember Paul, when he was at the end of his life, he said, I ran the race, I fought the good fight, and I have remained faithful. And I think that should be a goal for each of us as we are uh, going on in years that we would end well.
1: Yeah, no, and you know what you said in the beginning, this um, taking care of the next generation. This is uh, so much, um, you can say, the definition and the core um, um, characteristic of the life of Abraham. Uh, I believe you mentioned it briefly in the past uh, uh, put a section in part 2 when we spoke about Sodom and Gomorrah and the Lord says I need to inform him what I'm going to do with that cities and there it says in Genesis 18 verse 19 For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the ways of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord might bring to Abraham what he has promised to him. It says here, I have chosen him in order that he might command Actually, the more literal translation is that I have chosen this because he will command his children. That means um, this characteristic of of, of Abraham to take care for the next generation. That was one of the reasons why God said this man is the ideal partner to actually bring forth the purposes of God on earth. And I think this is so uh, super important also for our time. You know, Moimer, we spoke about it uh, Um, yesterday in our global prayer gathering, I think you have been with us and we spoke about actually taking the baton to the next generation, even with the message of Israel. And uh, the the amazing thing here is, you know, Genesis 24. um, This is right now the story after the approaches of the Machpelah cave. It says here now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the lord had blessed him in all things that means this man was a blessed man in every area of his life and he could have told him now he said okay now rest uh, uh, my son he's old enough he will take care about it but he even in his old age and even though he deserved a retirement so to speak He discharged his uh, chief servant and he says, I'm not going to leave this earth until I make sure there's a lineage for the future of our family. And there is a king, which I had to think when we were talking about that in, uh, in the history of Israel, who had exactly the opposite. And this was King Hezekiah, where the Lord told Hezekiah, he says, well, I'm going to bring judgment over this nation, but I'm not going to do it in your generation, but in the generations after you. And then we read one of the most tragic words in the, in the Bible, in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 19, it says, And then Hezekiah said to Isaiah the prophet, The words that the Lord has spoken are good, for he thought, Why not? If, this, if if there will be peace and security in my own days. And that's exactly what Abraham could have said. Well, there is peace. The Lord blessed me and all is good and all things I am blessed. Let the Lord deal with Isaac. But he didn't think that he he was, he wanted to make sure he was handing over the baton to the next generation. And I think that's important for every family that we take to sh- make sure that we, t- we we carry on the button of faith to the next generation it's true for ministries or for congregations that we always make sure that the next generation is with us on the boat and they are able to carry on the legacy and that's was the this whole story and i'm not sure if you want to make comments on the character of the the woman that this servant of the lord uh, uh was was looking for the, the servant of Abraham. it's quite interesting in verse 12 um, he, he, he arrived in in haran in the place where uh, his his uh, his master Abraham told him to look for that woman and then he said something quite interesting he says o oh lord god of my master abraham please help me now And it's quite interesting i don't believe that he could say well this is already my god but he recognized as a a god that is with my master and he called upon him please grant me success today and it's quite interesting he says i need a a a woman with distinguished quality that will serve uh, the the son of my master and and he was pleading with the lord he says well Let the woman that comes out, when I ask him, please give me water, uh, she shall also say, says, drink, and I will water also your camels." And that was, of course, what we all know Rebecca or Rivka. Uh, she went out and she saw this man, it says she was a beautiful, a stunning woman, very attractive in appearance. And he says, please give me a little water. And she says, drink. And she quickly went down. And when she gave fin- finishing f- finished giving water to him in verse 19, she says, I will also draw water for your camels until they finished drinking and you know if you imagine a a young fragile beautiful woman that's maybe not a a woman's work to feed a whole herd of camels but she had this incredible um, not only servantile to do what was asked of her you know he asked to can you ask me to can you give me some water but she uh, went beyond the request i'm not only fulfilling your request but she took the initiative She said, you know what, I'm also going to feed your, your camels. And I think that's a, a rare quality in mankind that, you know, sometimes we, uh, especially in workplaces, we say, well, I just did what you asked me to do. Nobody told me to do this or that. But there was a woman was which, which didn't wait for her to be told what needs to be done. She saw the need, took the initiative, in a way took leadership. And I think that was the perfect spouse. To, uh, to be the wife of a man like Isaac, who was one of the great patriarchs.
0: Yes, indeed. And she also must have had a sense of discernment because uh, there's an interesting uh, little detail when she was returning or she was coming with a servant who was returning to Abraham and she had not met Isaac before, obviously. She didn't know who he was, but she recognized him immediately and uh, uh, that that's an interesting story at the end of chapter 24, because in verse 62, we hear that Isaac came from the way of the El for mm-hmm. he dwelt there, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. for She had said to the servant, who is this man walking in the field? Now, that is uh, a rather unusual reaction. And so the question is, what did Rebecca see? How did she understand who he was and what was so special that uh, Isaac was doing? Um, Well, the, the key word here is uh, translated as he went out to meditate in the field. And uh, the Hebrew word lasuach, uh, there are many different theories what it actually means. But one explanation is taken from, taken from Psalm 102, verse 1, which starts by this uh, preface, a prayer of the afflicted, when he is overwhelmed and pours out his complaint before the Lord and complained in in Hebrew is Sichah. So uh, when we hear that uh, Isaac was doing this, it is understood that he was praying. And when Rebecca saw this, she somehow was uh, really taken, uh, and it, it, something stirred in her. And she probably understood that this, this is the man for uh, whom uh, uh, she is coming. So that is uh, uh, one characteristics. And then we we know that Rebecca was has, uh, was quite sensitive. She received the uh, instruction from the Lord also later on when the, the twins were to be born. And so she must have been quite a spiritual person. And uh, that brings me also to another uh, point, which uh, I think we still need to mention, And namely, it starts here when Isaac was coming from 'er Be'er L'Chairo'i. That is a place in the desert, somewhere in the Negev, uh, which obviously was a favorite place for Isaac to come and to meditate. And we know from the previous portion that this is where something extraordinary happened for Hagar and Ishmael. This Mm -hmm. is where Hagar was losing all hope. And then she lifted up her eyes and saw the well, the the, the air is the the well, and that actually saved the life of Hagar and Ishmael. And the the question is, uh, how come that Isaac was coming there all the time? We have many uh, references in the scripture, which leads us to the assumption that he and Ishmael must have, you know, been meeting from time to time, at least, or at least, Isaac knew the story of Hagar and Ishmael. And we mentioned that last time that in a way, Ishmael and Isaac had a similar traumatic experience in their lives. The one was sent by Abraham to the desert and could have died. And the other was bound by his father Abraham uh, to be sacrificed. And so in both cases, the Lord intervened and it Maybe that they it created such a bond between the two of them. And we see that Isaac was often coming to that place. And we see another example of uh, their relationship in the next chapter when we uh, read, and this is also part of this parasha, that when Abraham died, he was buried in the same burial plot that he had obtained in Machpelah. He was buried by... Isaac and Ishmael. The two brothers came together to bury their fathers. And that is, of course, a great sign of uh, reconciliation, at least, or good relations the two had. And it can be understood as a prophetic um, mm, promise that the sons of Ishmael, the Arabs, and the sons of Isaac, the Jews, one day would come to terms with each other and would reconcile. And uh, I think we mentioned that already, uh, in our last session when we were recording in Cyprus, where we were in the midst of uh, these Arab and Jewish believers, which uh, can be uh, said to be the first fruit of this reconciliation. And uh, it was uh, quite a, a powerful uh, signal or a sign that um, at the very in the very week when we were hearing the stories, how the Arabs overcame their hatred and uh, got healed and uh, received love for the Jewish people, that in that very week, this parasha was actually read all over the world in the synagogues. And the the Jewish tradition knows about it. And they do expect, actually, that something will happen in the last days between the Jews and the Arabs.
1: Yeah, it's true. And, uh, you know, what is quite interesting about that passage we when we continue on to chapter 25 now you mentioned that isaac returned from Beer lachai roy it's also it says in verse 11 after the death of abram god blessed isaac and isaac settled at Beer lachai roy. means it remained also his place and uh, i read from um, One of the sources, they said, well, why was uh, um, Isaac at Be'er Lachai Roy, and it's exactly like you said, that he was looking for Ishmael, and they say he was actually hoping even to maybe that he would meet Hagar, and according to Jewish tradition, you find this almost in every in uh, and, and every commentary they say the, the woman that is mentioned in chapter 25 it says here yeah, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah, she bore him Simran, Yokshan, Midian, Midian and, and uh, Ishbak and Shua, that this wife Keturah was actually nobody else uh, than Hagar that he was after the death of his mother, he was looking out to find Hagar and he brought her back into the tent of Abraham and the rabbi says she wasn't married by then, uh, she remained single, so she could have been brought back. I'm not honestly sure if that's true, uh, if I read the passage, it's, it sounds to me more like he actually was looking for another wife, that's the word, uh, um, another woman, so it wasn't the same from before. but what was interesting to me is that the jewish people they do see the possibility of hagar returning back to abram and also that goes in line to what you have been mentioning you know that even at the deathbed of abram ishmael and isaac were united And this is something that should give us all hope for the future. Isaiah 19 writes exactly about that, that there will be this highway between Assyria, Egypt, and Israel in the midst of them, and that those three nations, Assyria, which if you look at the map, this is a a huge area today from Eastern Turkey, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and Jordan, all the way to Egypt, they will, together with Israel, will become a praise on earth. the very first seed of that we find right here in those bible passages where ishmael and isaac appear together both of them have different destinies different callings isaac was the son of promise ishmael also a prominent blessing 12 princes would come out of them and even though there was this tension forecast to hagar says he will be in front of you in the face of all of your brothers uh, Ishmael. Uh, nevertheless, at the death of Abram, at the end of that parasha, they are together in peace and harmony, and they were burying their father.
0: Yes, and exactly as, as you mentioned, this can be taken as a sign, and uh, one thing is certain, we should be praying for the Middle East, because I don't think there is any other area in the world today where God is moving more strongly, than in the wider Middle East, which I would include Iran in, in that with all the, the protests and the uh, development there. And we have no doubt that God has uh, his plans for these people. Not only that he wants that everybody comes to faith and be blessed, uh, that is equally true for any nation, but it seems to me that they uh, uh, he has a special uh, plan for the neighboring uh, countries to Israel, to Egypt, whom he calls my people, to Assyria, work of my hands. To Lebanon, we heard interesting takes how Lebanon is portrayed in the Bible as the bride. And so there are different uh, specific promises and uh, it would be great if we continue praying for them. Our good friend Tom Craig uh, has been working for years on this Isaiah 19 highway, which is again, on the one hand, holding fast to the promise, on the other hand, fighting for it with uh, the prayers that are growing in Egypt, in Jordan, in Lebanon, in Syria and everywhere. And uh, uh, I would just close by saying, keep them up in your prayers and uh, just expect God to do many miraculous things in those nations. And also that means that loving Israel by far does not mean that we hate the Arabs, quite the contrary. The more you love Israel, the more you get to love the Arab
1: neighbors as well. Amen. And I think we mentioned it in one of our meetings the other day. So, you know, there are um, two big people group, you can say the Jewish people and the Gentiles called by God and uh, we the gentiles have by faith we are crafted in into this olive tree become sons of abram mm-hmm. but we notice there is actually a third group which also are physical descendants of abram and these are uh, the sons of ishmael and even the sons of esau you can include into that which are physical descendants and received a special pres- presence, by the patri- a blessing by the by the patriarchs and uh, this legacy. Those nations like Israel, they are still around in that region, and it's good for us uh, also as the church to pray for those nations that they come into their full destiny. And I want to come back again to how we started today, and this is how. Abraham is such an example to us. The Bible calls him, he's the father of us all. And I believe he, he's called like that because he's just the prime example what it means to receive a promise from the Lord and how to run your whole life with that promise, to be willing to pay the price, be willing to bring the sacrifice, to hold fast to that promise, to that calling, never give up. And I think that's such an encouraging message also for us today.
0: Yes, amen, which is a, a good conclusion for our three-part series on the life of Abraham. It was really uh, a great blessing to go with you through the parachute and exchange ideas and views and interpretations. Shall we do something similar again in the near future? Uh,
1: for my side, yes, but it might be good to hear also some of the responses from our listener. Maybe they want to put down a few comments if this is something that uh, um, is helpful to you, we might actually go, I thought the other day, uh, through the lives of Jacob and, and Isaac, because that's how God is called. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And maybe we can continue with those coming uh, parachute also to hear what those great men, how they were living with God. Yes,
0: yeah, so we'll see. Uh, the Christmas season is approaching, so we will probably make a break. Uh, soon in December, but uh, we certainly aim to go back to uh, this way of explaining the the parashot, the Bible verses, which is, by the way, something we can learn from the Jews. This is their way of not listening to a monologue and uh, having someone tell you this is the truth. Period. But rather asking questions and exchanging views and trying to find the deeper truth. Uh, in the form of a dialogue, and I really uh, enjoyed that. And we are certainly going to con- uh, to continue one way or
1: another. No, and I think it's a good place also for us, maybe to thank the audience because I believe yes. we both benefited from it. I was learning from your comments, and uh, I believe together we could have we could be a blessing uh, to others. I do see the 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 greetings here from around the world, so. If this will help be helpful, I think we will finish in the month to come also the life of Isaac and the life of Jacob. Amen. And
0: thank you also, all our listeners, for these very encouraging words. We really appreciate that. And it will certainly motivate us to continue. Thank you. God God bless bless you. God bless you and see you soon again.